Mark 5, verses 1 through 17. Jesus heals a man with a demon. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the, the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, uh, among, among the tombs on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you my, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out to the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. That is the word of the God. Well, if you are um, just joining us uh, here at Revive and um, maybe you haven't heard some of the messages previous to this, um, let me just briefly catch you up. Currently, um, here at Revive, we are going through a sermon series uh, titled The Incomparable Jesus, The Incomparable Jesus, and we're walking through the Gospel of Mark. Um, Last week, we got to the middle of chapter 3, and there in verses 14 and 15, you may remember if you were here last week, um, or maybe you caught it on um, online Mark talks about how Jesus gave his, author- his, um, his authority to the disciples to cast out demons. And um, so I wasn't here last week, um, and so I'm not sure exactly how uh, detailed uh, we got into the demons, but Pastor Susung and I did talk about uh, that chapter as well as today's chapter, chapter 5, and uh, decided that um, I should talk about chapter 5 today, and we'll backtrack to 3 and 4 when Pastor Seuss gets back. So I guess one of the questions that you might have is is kind of the obvious question, are demons real? Well, the Bible talks about demons, so, um, you know, without having to go too much into 
um, all the other you know, nuts and bolts of it, um, from the Bible's perspective, if we take this as the authoritative word of God, then the answer to that question is indubitably, yes, demons are real. Um, now, the next question might be, okay, if they're real, if, or at least the Bible says they're real, um, then what are demons? And uh, for that, a couple of Bible verses that we have. <clears throat> and let's read that together. This is from Matthew chapter 25, and this is Jesus' words. Let's read that together. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So here Jesus is actually talking about there um, about judgment day. And he's describing in some detail what judgment day will look like. And he says, uh, part of judgment day, will he will look to those on his left, um, those who do not trust in Jesus. And he says, you who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Who is Who are the angels? Who are these angels? Well, these angels belong to the devil. You might be wondering, wait, I thought angels belong to God. Good question. That means you're tracking, you're paying attention. So what does this mean here, the devil and the angels? What is Jesus talking about? Well, in Revelation chapter 12, let's read this together. Go ahead. Now war arose in heaven. deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. So, the devil is actually a former angel who fell. He basically wanted to um, usurp God and take on his throne and his glory. He wanted to, like, replace God. So he was defeated. He was thrown down. But Satan also had other angels who wanted to do this with him. And, um, you know, it, these aren't the only places where demons and fallen angels are, are uh, discussed and mentioned. Um, you can look at Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, um, all over the Bible. Um, and apparently a third of the angels were dragged down with the devil. Um, a third of them. So um, I'm guessing that to mean, you know, if it's literal... You know, a third of the angels that were created actually followed Satan and became, went from angels to demons. So um, when it talks about the devil and his angels, it's actually talking about the demons, okay? So that's Revelation 12, chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. Um, there's some other stuff before that um, if you want to read there later. Now, what do demons do? So... Are they real? Yes. Um, where do they come from? We kind of get, you know, from the Bible, we understand how they originated. Um, of course, this sermon isn't about all those things because then um, we'd be talking about that. We're going to talk about some other stuff, but we do have to talk about these things. Um, what are they? What do they do now? So if this is from Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 13. Let's read that together. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil 
and having done all, to stand firm. So there is another passage here in Ephesians 6 where we see that demons are real, yes. Demons oppose uh, God, yes, and um, they oppose us. So that's kind of their main activity. Their main purpose is to continue, just as it was from when they fell, to oppose God, which means to oppose all his work. And it also means that demons are opposing all the people who follow God, which may include you, right? If you are a follower of God, these demons are actually out to oppose you right now, even as we're sitting in these seats. This story is, you know, if you were paying attention, I mean, it's, it's a pretty spectacular incident that's happening, right, that's recorded here. I mean, this man who's cutting himself, he's like super strong. Did you re- catch that part? He broke the shackles and nothing could bind him. And he just, he lived in the tombs. I mean, this is like straight out of some kind of horror movie, right? Straight out of some kind of Halloween setting. Super strong. And not only that, he's, he cuts himself. So he's probably bleeding. He's got scars. He's probably not, you know, very clean. He's not in his right mind. Again, this is not a parable. This is actually an incident recorded. And then Jesus comes and he does this thing and he tells the spirits and he rebukes them and the spirits goes, don't let, you know, don't send us away. Let us go into the pigs. He lets them do that. And the pigs immediately rush down the hill and into the water and drown themselves. I mean, this is, (laughs) if we saw this like on YouTube Right? If YouTube were around back then, this would have gone viral. This would have been like, you know, not just millions, billions of hits, right? This is just craziness. What is. And so the immediate question for me, and probably for you, is why, God, are you recording this story? Why did you include this in the Gospel of Mark and, and the other Gospels? Why, why is this in your word? And not just this, but other incidents like this, where demons are being cast out. Why does it include that? Why does God want us to be aware of this? And I think it's very much tied to Ephesians 6. He wants us to be aware because he wants you to know that the devil is constantly trying to oppose you and derail you and distance you from your God all the time. He wants you to be aware of that so you can push back, so that you can fight against that. If we look at the context, Mark chapter 4, which we'll get to in the next several weeks, right? We're going to finish up 3, and then Mark 4 we'll get to at some point. Mark 4 has some of the most famous um, parables uh, you know, of Jesus. And these parables, these certain, par- these particular parables in Mark chapter 4, they all have these image, th- these metaphors of seed and growth. So there's all these parables in Mark chapter 4 before Mark chapter 5 about how the kingdom of heaven is like seed that it gets planted and it's supposed to grow. So that's the principle. If you want to take notes, that would be like the big note to take right now. The One of the main principles of God's kingdom is growth, multiplication, 
in all sense of the word. Growth in yourself and your own relationship with God, growth in sharing that with others, growth in seeing others come to know him, the, the life and joy of Jesus Christ, and then the growth that happens from there. It's just constant growth. That's why in Mark chapter 4, the chapter before this, Jesus is talking about seed. I mean, what is the point of a seed? What is the point, guys? Reproduction, growth. And he has three separate, not just one, not just two. It's like that, you know, those TV commercials. Not just one, not just two, but three different parables about seed in chapter four. And then in chapter five, we see this story about the demon. And what is a demon and what, are the de- what is uh, Satan trying to do? He's trying to stunt that growth. If God is for growth, of his light and his joy and the fruit of, of who he is in, in all of creation, including us, then the very aim of the devil and his angels, his demons, is to stop that growth, to curtail that growth, to even maybe try to destroy that growth. Not that complicated. His goal is very simple. And so we see this also um, in the words of Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6, right? Our struggle is not against each other, our struggle is against the demons and spiritual principalities of the air. It's another way of saying his demons who are opposing you, opposing your growth in what? In the kingdom of heaven. Anything that opposes the growth of the kingdom of heaven in your life is from Satan. It's from the demonic. Anything and everything. You're driving down the road. You see a billboard, a billboard for some stuff, right? And it makes you start thinking about other stuff that is not of Christ, that is of like objectifying people or getting drunk and losing control or being greedy or whatnot, whatever. Or maybe TV commercials or magazine advertisements or articles, stories in the news. Yes, even our own friends, even our own mouths. Sometimes we use our own mouths to do something to hurt and curtail and destroy other people, don't we? Those are all things of Satan. But in Mark chapter 5, we see not just in today's story, but in the story after and the story after that. In Mark chapter 5, we see Jesus healing somebody who's being demonized, Today's story, healing someone who's been bleeding and the doctors can't figure out what's going on. That's after this one. And then after that, Jesus actually raising someone who had succumbed to the curse of Satan death, raising Jairus' daughter from the dead. So do you see that juxtaposition of Mark 4 and Mark 5? Right? And we see that the key is Jesus conquers all. Amen? Now, let's take a closer look at this particular incident. So I've given you kind of a background, big picture um, context of what's going on so that you can kind of put all of that and make sense of today what you're going to see. Because if I just go into the story, you're going to be like, how does this have any relevance to me, right, or to today? And I hope I've given you a little bit of that framework so that we can uh, understand a little better what this story is and what what God Um, has brought you here to learn, perhaps, right? Okay, so 
let's just go through the story. It's a really incredible story, as we've talked about. Um, this is, again, after Jesus gives teachings about the parables of, all the, of the seed and growth. And then um, this is right after uh, he calms the storm. And if you don't know that story, I encourage you. That's another great story. Um, it's at the end of chapter 4. And after Jesus calms the storm with just his mere word, then it says, as are, you know, um, in the boat and the waters are all crazy and he calms it. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, verse 3, and no one could bind him anymore. So as you can see, there's a history with this guy. It's been going on for a while because they tried to bind him, but they could not bind him, what, anymore. Not even with a chain. So even iron, he could break iron. Any of that here claim that power? I mean, I don't think anybody here would be able to break iron chains, right? For he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But listen to this. He wrenched the chains apart. <laughs> I mean, he literally tore the chains apart, and then he broke the shackles into pieces. No one had the strength to subdue, uh, subdue him. No one had the strength to subdue him. He, was, he had this incredible strength. And it was because of this unclean spirit. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, I want you to think about this. Do you ever decide, I don't want to do what I know God asks me to do because this other path that I'm finding enticing um, will lead to greater strength and greater power, something more. I feel like, you know, maybe you, you're, you're thinking, I feel like taking this path that I know is not of God will lead to something greater, something more, will add strength and power to my life. I think what this story is reminding us is, actually, in some senses, yeah. We can take a path that is not of Christ, and there will be some degree of, I feel better about myself, I feel stronger, I have more power. But that's just a trap. It's, it's, it's a red herring. It's, it's a trick. It's a deception to make you go down that path and to forsake the path of Christ. We're going to see this as we go on. So it seems like the, the illusion is if we follow a path of the flesh, of the demons, of not of Christ, we're going to gain this super strength. We're going to gain power. We're going to gain things that we want that make us feel strong and powerful. No one had the strength to subdue him. Verse 5, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. I want you to think about this. I want you to visualize this. Night and day among the tombs, so 24 hours a day, he's going around the tombs. Doesn't seem like he's resting much, does it? And he was always crying out, not just occasionally. It says always. And what was he doing? What was he doing, guys? 
With what? That's got to hurt, right? I was thinking about this. This is a man who once was a boy. What if this man was your son? What if this man was your brother? What if this man was your uncle, your dad? I think it's very easy to look at this man and go, oh my gosh, get away from me, right? But this man didn't come from nowhere. He has a mother somewhere. He might have kids. He might have a wife. He has a father. Can you imagine the pain that his mother or his father or his brother feels every time he thinks of this man? I think when we see other people who are suffering, who are maybe a little foreign to our experience, I think it's really easy to just dismiss it as like too weird, too much, until it happens to you. Then you have no choice, right? Do you see where I'm going with this? And it's Jesus who comes to him and heals him. And I think what Jesus is reminding us is this. Guys, have compassion. Let your your heart be in a place where it can hurt for someone that maybe you're a little bit scared of. Because God loves that person just as much as he loves you. And we have no right to look at someone else's suffering and be like, ooh, too much. Because Jesus looked at your suffering and he didn't do that, did he? Amen? Did Jesus look at your suffering and go, oh, too much. You're too weird. This kind of sin and this kind of sin I can handle, but this cutting yourself and screaming in the tombs all day and all night, you're just crazy. You're too much. No, Jesus had compassion. And let me tell you something. You might think that this guy's suffering and weirdness was too much and too gross. Look in the mirror. Your sins, my sins, were just as repulsive to God. But that didn't stop him from having compassion and loving and reaching across the gap getting out of his own comfort zone, coming down to earth and getting into it. Just what, for what reason? To save us, to love us, to walk among us, to be with us, God with us. Night and day, he cried out, cutting himself with stones. This man was somebody's son. Could have been your son. Could have been your brother. Have compassion. Verse 6, And when when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And crying out in a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? 
I adjure you, I beg you, by God, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? Now we're getting into kind of the second part of this story. Um, Forgive me, the first part um, I've entitled uh, Enslavement, Enslavement Under the Devil. Okay, Enslavement Under the Devil. So that's part one. Part two is right here. Deliverance, fear it or embrace it. Deliverance, fear it or embrace it. And then point three will be testimony. The testimony of the healed. The testimony of the healed. So point two, deliverance. Fear it or embrace it. So Jesus in verse eight has been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So Jesus immediately recognizes that this man has an unclean spirit because of all these um, supernatural things that this man is doing with the, what, with the iron chains and shackles and crying out and cutting himself um, and not dying from the mere infection, right? He's able to survive all of this. And then there's this dialogue that occurs. Jesus asks him, what is your name? And the evil, unclean spirit, the demon replies, my name is Legion, which means for we are many. We are many. We see this dynamic happen throughout the scriptures where uh, a demon will identify himself as like many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. What's that about? Why why do the demons or legion or whatever, why does he beg him earnestly not to send them out of the country? Well, let's think about this. What do demons do? They torment and they destroy, right? That's their purpose. And so my thought is this. Maybe they don't want to get sent out of the country because they spent a lot of time investing and a lot of time and energy into scouting that country. They're scouted, they've scouted the country. Not only that, they've scouted the people living in that country. And so they have some sort of particular tie to this particular physical land. Imagine that. There are these spiritual beings who have a physical tie to this physical land. They don't want to leave that country. They're begging Jesus, don't send us out of this particular country. It's weird for us because, you know, we have these bodies and we're like, why does it matter that demons? Because their point, their purpose is to torment and destroy people. And what better way to do that than to get to know people? And what is our weakness? What, what makes them, you know, tick? What buttons can I push to get them riled up? They've spent physical time and energy scouting out that country. They don't want to leave that country. If that means that these demons have scouted that country, they don't want to leave this country. They don't want to leave those people that they've scouted. Isn't it possible then that they are also scouting you out right now? They've scouted out Silicon Valley. They've scouted out Sunnyvale, Mountain View, Palo Alto, Los Gatos, San Jose, Santa Clara, San Francisco, Oakland, Hayward, you name it. 
Ephesians 6. Am I just pulling this out of? No. This is what Ephesians 6, God is telling us. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There are demons who are, they're not like God. Okay, God is omnipresent. He can be anywhere at any time, all the time, everywhere. Demons are limited. They can't be in two places at once. So there are demons assigned here to Silicon Valley. There are demons assigned here to Santa Clara. And there are demons assigned here, right here, to Revive Church. And there are demons assigned to you and to you and to you and to you. And what is their purpose? Ephesians 6. What is their purpose? To oppose growth, the growth of God's kingdom in your heart. To distract you, to do everything they can to stop you from growing like the seed to the plant that produces fruit. Not my words, the words of Mark 4, Mark 5. Do you see what's going on here? <laughs> There's more to our life than us waking up, going to work, putting food in our mouths, coming back home. Are you starting to see that there's more to this reality than just what we see? There's a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual realm that is happening. Again, not my words. God's word. And so they make this funny request, right? They say, we are many, beg Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country. And so, a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside and the demons begged Jesus saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the st steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. I sometimes go hiking at Rancho San Antonio. Some of you guys know where that is, right? It's like a kind of on the 280, and they have this little farm. If you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. And on this farm, they have like two or three pigs, and sometimes like certain parts of the year, those pigs have fruit, they grow, and then they have more babies. And sometimes they'll have as many as like seven or eight pigs there. 2,000 pigs. I can't even imagine the sight nor the stench. On this hiking trail, there's a way to bypass the farm. I almost always go that way because I can't stand the smell. And that's just like five pigs. This is 2,000 pigs. In one way, I feel like there's no more appropriate place for demons to go than into these stinky pigs. But let's think about this. Why do they request to go into the pigs? My thought is this. Demons are so intent on tormenting and destroying that if they can't do it to a person, they're happy to at least do it to animals and any other form of creation. Why? Because God created all things, right? And it's almost like spite. If I can't get to the jewel, the crown jewel of creation, human beings who bear the imago Dei, the image of God, then at least let us get to those pigs. And there's 2,000 of them. Yeah. They're so intent 
on destroying and tormenting that they would rather do it to anything if they can't do it at least to you and I. And this reminds me, goes, going back to verse 5, night and day he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. You know, I bet there are people here. You might be literally cutting yourself. I know that's like something that's been happening in the last few years. And this is because you have some kind of pain inside you, some kind of angst. And the only it, it affects and afflicts you so much to the point that you can no longer feel anything else. So you need to cut yourself so that you can feel something. I also want to suggest that maybe some of you have a similar kind of pain, but it doesn't come out in cutting. It comes out in other ways. Maybe it's through a destructive, addictive habit. Maybe it's through a pattern of anger and destroying and hurting other people around you because you're tired of being hurt. So you'd rather be the first one to hurt others before you get hurt. So you build walls. You cut off relationships. You don't cut yourself, but you cut others off. Maybe it's just a withdrawal from life. These demons that are so intent on destruction and tormenting are working on us all the time. And they are so intent on this that if they can't do it to you, the very nature of them dictates that they do it to anything else. We have to be aware. We have to be wary, cautious, vigilant. If you in any way relate to this man who is cutting himself and crying out loud and being tormented within his very soul. And I guarantee that's probably like what, 80, 90% of you, maybe 10% of you are going through a really good point season in life right now. God bless you. Um, that's not going to last. <laughs> you're going to have something in your life occur where you're going to be tested. That's just life, living in this broken world. And I want to give you some good news. Jesus delivers you. I want you to think of your pain. I want you to think of your anxiety. I want you to think of all these lies that, that torment your, your, your heart, your soul. Like, I don't measure up. I don't measure up as a man. I don't measure up as a woman. I don't measure up as a son. My dad is never happy with what I do. My mom is always nagging me. I, my husband, my wife, me. I'm sick of me. I can, I'm not going to get the promotion. I'm not going to climb up that ladder, the corporate ladder. I'm always going to just be here. All these things that torment you and drive you. Jesus has delivered you from the voices of torment. Do not listen to those voices anymore. There is a greater voice. There is a more powerful voice, and that voice belongs to Jesus.
Amen. Demons employ a variety of methods for their end. I've just talked to you a little bit about the more subtle ways. A little whisper. A little billboard. A little prodding from the group you're hanging out with, you're spending time with. Jesus, he'll forgive you. Just come on. Do this. Have a little fun. Get strong. Add to your life by doing this and then just go on back to church on Sunday and, and repent. Isn't that how it works? Kind of, yeah, I guess. You see? These demons have very subtle ways of working. I know because they work on me all the time. And I failed many a time. I'm not talking up here as someone who hasn't failed. I'm talking up here because I am someone who has failed. And it's Jesus alone who saves me. But demons don't only use subtle ways. They use more dramatic and obvious ways too. And we see that in chapter 5. This is the story of someone who is being possessed in a very obvious, open method, not a subtle method. But I'm wondering, it probably began subtly. And it just kind of grew and grew and grew into something that became very dramatic to the point of where he's breaking chains made of iron and shackles and he's cutting himself and he's crying out. These are all physical manifestations. So the question you might be asking, what is possession? Actually, I've had my wife and I throughout our ministry, we've been, uh, you know, I've been pastoring for uh, 23 years now and just by the mere fact of being around for that long, not because I'm so great or anything, I've seen a few things. And so I want to share a few things. And that's why uh, Pastor Seuss and I, when we talked about uh, this chapter, he said, this might be a good chapter, Young, for you to talk about and just share some of these things. What is possession? It's actually a very nuanced thing. And we're not going to go into too much detail about it today. But I have seen what you might call possession um, in people who actually go to church. Not just people who don't go to church. People who go to church. And they go to church a lot, often. And I've seen people who do that possessed, what you might call possessed. So what is possession? Again, I'm trying to give you the lowest common denominator. And I can, I'm comfortable with saying this. Demons... Show, can show physical manifestations in people like super strength, like crying out, like changing voices, okay? So the subtle methods are like little whispers and temptations. The more obvious methods that demons can influence are through these other ways where there's like a physical manifestation. I've actually seen people's faces change. I've heard their voices change. They have different names when I'm talking to them physical manifestations. You guys should not be shocked because we see this here in the Bible over and over. So, again, without going too much into the weeds of it, that's kind of possession on a basic level. When you see like, or as we describe a possession, right? We see physical manifestations. Um, maybe you've seen the movie Exorcist. Um, that was actually kind of based somewhat on a documented case uh, of the Roman Catholic Church. Um, I've seen people do like 
vomiting. Um, I've seen also, uh, maybe you guys have seen maybe more currently this movie um, Split with James McElvoy. Have you guys seen that movie? I saw that movie and I was like, the, the writer, of that, the creator of that movie, M. Night uh, Shyamalan, I came away from that movie thinking, that boy did his research. Because that lines up a lot with what I've experienced with what you might call possession. So that character in that movie, where he has these different personalities, I've seen that. And that's a lot of times different demons, just like this, again. I am Legion. Who are you? What's your name? Jesus says. And the man says, I am Legion, for we are many. Now here's something very interesting. Um, well, as a side note, um, I don't know how many of you are into like fortune telling, how many of you are into like tarot cards or even like zodiacs and all of that. I just want to say, I felt like I need to say this because it's very relevant. Um, and maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you've never been taught this before. Those things, number one, are real. Okay, we see that in Acts. We see fortune telling in Acts, right? Um, we see it in other parts of the Bible. So it's real. Number two, God says avoid. Avoid those things. So those things, those fortune telling services and people, even the tarot cards that exist today, God says avoid. Avoid them. They're real. When you look at the list of, uh, there are many lists in the Bible, and especially in the New Testament, where it says, of, these are things of the, the flesh, things of the darkness, and it goes on and lists all these things. In those lists, invariably, you're going to find sorcery, uh, the occult, witchcraft. You're going to see those words. Go ahead, look it up. I want you to look it up so you can discover for yourself. Okay, Don't just take my word for it. Those are all real things. We see in Exodus, the Pharaoh's magicians, they're actually able to reproduce some of the plagues, right? Some of us are reading through Exodus, remember that? The sorcerers were actually able to reproduce some of the plagues, and then it got to a certain point and they couldn't do it. Ah, interesting. So these powers, these demons, they, they do have the, the power at least to appear like they're fortune-telling and doing magic and all of that, okay? God says, avoid resist, get away from those things. I want you to look at verse, um, where is it here? Verse 14 and 15. So this is after Jesus delivers this man there's this power encounter between him and Legion and the other demons. We see this scene of 2,000 pigs being possessed and out of their mind run into the water, drown themselves. And you would think, like, whoa, yes, awesome, right? Like, this man that has been tormented, finally, like, let's give him a name, uh, Joe. Hey, Joe, you're back, right? Or maybe his mother's name is, is Mar Mary. Mary. Go tell Mary, Joe's back, he's okay. But here's what happens. The people, the herdsmen, they fled, and then they came to Jesus. And then they saw this demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion, sitting there, and he was clothed finally, and he was in his what? His right mind, it says there in verse 15. So he's okay now. 
and they were afraid. Why would they be afraid? And those who had seen it described to them what had happened. They just told them this whole story about the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And then look at this, verse 17. They began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why would you want Jesus to depart from your region when you saw Jesus heal this man? It makes me wonder, what are they holding on to that maybe they don't want to be delivered from? You know what I'm saying? Don't we all, that includes myself, don't we all have patterns of sin in our lives that we're kind of like, we're okay. We're like, we like it. I like it. And if I knew that someone could deliver me from it, I'm like, no thanks, I'm good. Please just leave. These men, these people had seen this man throughout for how many years or whatever, being tormented. Jesus comes and helps him. Again, he's not a demonized man. He's a, he's a human being. They should, there should be rejoicing. But instead it's like, oh, Jesus, get away. They begged him to depart. I wonder what sins and patterns of sins that we have in our lives that we are okay with, we're happy with. We don't need Jesus to touch that. Jesus, help me to get promoted. Jesus, help me to pay my mortgage. Jesus, help my kids get into the good colleges. Jesus, help me to be happy and comfortable. Oh, Jesus, you want to touch? No, don't touch that part. You can touch all these other parts that I give you permission to choose, but you can't touch this or that or this because I like those things. Who's king of kings there? Not Jesus. You, me. Isn't that interesting? They begged Jesus to depart. Get out of here. Get away. And that's why this point is called deliverance. You either fear it because you like, you secretly like these things that you're shackled by, or you embrace the deliverance. You embrace it. And this is where this man falls. This is what he does. He was afraid, right? These people were afraid, and they begged him to leave. Verse 18, look there. As he was getting into the boat, Jesus, the man who had been possessed with demons, there's those words, possessed with demons, begged Jesus that he might be with him. He begged him to be with them. Do you see the dramatic difference of response? The herdsmen, the people, they, want, they begged him to leave. This man who knows what just happened and is now free, he begs Jesus, don't leave. I want to be with you, he says. It's no coincidence that when Mary conceived, when the Holy Spirit conceived Jesus in Mary's womb, the angel told Mary, his name will be God with you. This man, having tasted the power of Jesus, says, I want to be with you, God. I want to be with you. I don't want you to flee from me. I beg you to be with me. Emmanuel, God with me. And this comes to the third point, testimony. Testimony of our healing. Here's Jesus' response. This man begs Jesus, can I be with you? And Jesus says, he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Do you hear that? Jesus 
When this man begs him, can I be with you? Can I go with you? He says, no, you may not go with me. Instead, I want you to go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. How much he has had mercy on you. And he went away and he began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Brothers and sisters, do you ever come to those points in life, I know I have, where you're like, Jesus, just take me home, right? Kind of uh, facetious here, but when I was a college, high school student, every time finals would come around, that's what I would say, Jesus, take me home. Like, I don't want to take this final. It's like all this material. I don't even care about chemistry and physics. I don't care about that stuff, right? Or maybe for you, it was like other stuff, right? Just take me home. I mean, it's kind of a trivial thing, but you know, for me as a high school student, it was like kind of a big thing. Like, just take I don't want to do this. But you probably have had maybe more serious things that you cry out to Jesus, take me home. Have you ever wondered, Jesus, why didn't you just take me home? Have you ever wondered why, like at the moment you receive Jesus into your heart and he becomes your Lord and Savior and all your sins get washed away, have you ever wondered like, why doesn't he just take us at that moment? He could. It's because he still has a mission for you to do. Does that make sense? He still has a mission for you to do here. That's why you're still here. That's why he hasn't taken you home yet. And what is your mission? It's the same thing as this man. Go and tell your friends. You have friends. If you don't have friends, go make them. <laughs> go tell your friends what? What the Lord has done for you and the great mercy he has had on you. When you think of your testimony, when you think of sharing the, the gospel, some of you guys, I know, I know this happens to me. You get intimidated, you get scared. You're like, oh, what if they reject me? Ah, you know, like I go through that all the time. There's been so many countless times where God has given me an opportunity to share the gospel and I turned away because I was afraid of rejection. What Jesus is teaching us here is you don't need to try to convince the person, okay? All you need to do is what? Share your story. Tell the friends what Jesus did for you, what he did for you. If you're a follower of Christ, you know what Jesus did for you. You have your story, share it. Tell of the great mercy that Jesus has had on you. And when you do that, when you go out in faith, not because you think you're going to be like the next Billy Graham, but because your Lord and Savior asks you to do it, and based on that, you take a step of faith. You guys are in GLF, right? You guys are familiar with this terminology, right? You should be. You take that small step of faith in response to what Jesus said, and Jesus will bless that, just like he did for this man. Look, this man went out to the Decapolis. He did what Jesus told him. He shared his story, and what happened? People marveled. They didn't reject him. They marveled. Take that step of faith. Share your story of what Jesus has done for you and the great mercy he has had on you. So I'm going to end with this. Talking about testimony, right? Um, throughout the years, 
Um, I've just, I don't know why, but the Lord has um, had me, and then once I got married, my wife together, serve people who've been under like demonic torment. Um, she's a marriage family therapist. She, that happens all the time. And so um, all these different incidents. Uh, in 1991, um, somebody was praying. Uh, and I was there, and he's just like this friendly guy. And then he got very emotional. He got very strong, by the way, too. And then some of the other people, the other students, including myself and the youth pastor at the time, uh, prayed for him and counseled him and walked him through that. And he came back to his right mind. Uh, 1997, a high school student got very emotional and then became very strong again. And a bunch of pastors, we were at a conference, um, had to subdue him and we prayed for him. And again, about after an hour, he came back to his right mind, you know, praying for him, reading the Bible. Um, summer of 2001, I think, uh, there was a high school student, a friend of one of uh, the youth group members at, at, at this church, and um, he came from a Buddhist family, and uh, we were at this retreat, and all of a sudden, he just disappeared one day. Later on, we found out he had gone to the main road. He saw a policeman, uh, a car coming, and he threw himself in front of the car. He threw himself onto the road in front of the car. Luckily for him, the police car saw, you know, uh, saw him and slowed down. It hit him, but he survived. And he actually went to the hospital. I had to go to the hospital because I was, you know, um, uh, the pastor at the time. And um, we had to go, and, and we, there we prayed for him. And, uh, and he was able to come back to his mind again. Uh, 2001, a college student uh, that I knew, uh, just a normal guy, decided that he was going to uh, wrap himself in a flag and try to light himself on fire. But he was stop stopped by the uh, police. And later on, when I visited him in the hospital, he began whispering to me that they're trying to kill me. The conspirators are trying, they're listening to our conversation. And then he got really sad, and then he said to me that he was really sad, and that he had done many bad things, and that there's no hope, and that he couldn't go to heaven. And so Christy and I, um, we were married at the time, we, we told this brother, we're like, we had so much compassion, we could see the pain, we could see he really believed that he could not, that his sin was too great. He really believed that he was lost forever, he could never go back to Jesus. And we told him, no, that's not true. In Romans 8, it says that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor demons can separate you from the love of God. In 2004, a young man, again, uh, that I knew, um, happy-go-lucky guy, uh, if you met him, you'd be like, ooh, this guy would be like, could be a great candidate for like a best friend. He's so cool and happy and funny. He's playing guitar and he was singing. All of a sudden, he started playing it really weird. Bang, bang. Like, what's going on? By this point, you know, because of all the other previous experiences, I was like, oh, no, Lord, come on. Not, not tonight, please. He slumps to the ground. He starts sobbing violently. He starts yelling out, like this guy uh, in, in the Gerasenes, Mark 5. Then his brother came over to help him and comfort him. As he did this, the, the, the sobbing guy grabs his brother, starts screaming how much he hates him, and yelling at all these really bad things about him. His whole personality had changed. <laughs> he, 
He was yelling at all these things that he had held against his brother. <coughs> we tried to separate the two, but it took the strength of like several guys there, <coughs> excuse me, to, to finally separate them. And so we started quoting all these Bible verses to try to um, free this guy's mind from this, this possession or whatever it was that was going on. Clearly, something had changed. So we prayed, we read the Bible. After about two hours, he finally started to come back to us. He told us what happened, but that it, and he knew that he, what was happening, he could see it, but it, he, he, he said it wasn't really him, like he was just watching. And then some other stuff happened at this ver- that, the same, uh, that same night and the night following. Um, similar things. Finally, let me share end with this story. In two, um, I won't say the year, but a few years back, um, after all this, you know, I spoke with different pastor friends who had similar experiences with these. And after talking with them and hearing about these incidents, uh, sharing ours and theirs, there seemed to be a common thread throughout all of these, what you would might call possession experiences. You want to know what it was? It might for, uh, kind of a, uh, surprise you and might even scare you. Every single person that went through this experience, they had some sort of issue of lack of forgiveness in, for someone in their lives. They had some kind of grudge that took a deep uh, hold in their lives and they weren't able to forgive or they didn't want to forgive. Maybe it was their dad, their mom for some abuse or a brother or whatnot, um, rape, um, emotional betrayal, so they held on to this grudge. Every single person, when we finally started counseling them and talking to them, they all had this common thread of lack of forgiveness. This, as I'm talking to my friends, I'm, these things are like finally starting to make sense. When I tested that hypothesis with Bible verses like, do not let the sun go down on your anger, lest you, for, you, lest you give the devil a foothold in your life. That's from Ephesians. You want to go there, you can read it. What it's saying is this, don't go to bed angry, don't, if you have some kind of anger against somebody, maybe it's your parents, maybe it's your best friend who betrayed you, maybe it's your wife, your husband, your ex-wife, your ex-husband, if you have some kind of anger, deal with it soon and quickly, because if you don't, you're giving the devil an opening into your life, and you're giving him a foothold, not my words, the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians, okay? And then I, 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 this other verse that always kind of eluded me. I didn't understand what it meant because it sounded like it's salvation by works. But we know salvation is by grace. But let me share it with you. Matthew 6.15. If you don't forgive other people for their sins, then your father will not forgive your sins. What? I thought all I need to do is just confess Jesus as my Lord and Savior and he'll forgive my sins, Right? Right? But here in Matthew 6, it says, if you don't forgive others their sins, then your father will not forgive your sins. It sounds like it's kind of conditional. That's, it always didn't make sense until I understood all this other stuff. You see, what's happening is when what Jesus did was he freed you from your sins. He forgave you. But as someone who has been forgiven and freed from your prison of, forg- of sin, if you do not forgive someone else, what you're doing is you're going backwards into your prison of sin. The prison that Jesus broke open for you. But you are willingly walking back into lack of forgiveness. 
where you were not forgiven. And that's why God is saying, you've been forgiven, now go forgive. And if you don't forgive, then maybe you really don't understand that you've been forgiven by the Father. And that's why if you are, you know, not forgiving, maybe, you, maybe you've never really been forgiven. Maybe you thought you were by God, but maybe you haven't. Maybe you, you don't think your sins are that bad. And so when somebody does a sin against you, you're like, that person's sin is really bad. I'm never going to forgive him. You know what happens? The devil gets a foothold. And then all these demonic influences start entering through that little crack. I'm telling you, these people went to church. Some of these people, I would have bet my life they were Christian, and yet it still happened to them. This one guy, I get a call in the middle of the night from his wife. Pastor Young, please come. I'm really scared. Why? My husband, he's acting all weird and strange. What do you mean? Well, he's doing these weird things. Okay, um, all right, hold on. I'll be there. I tell Christy, okay, I got to go. I think something's happening, one of these things again. She's like, oh, my gosh. She really loved this couple. She wanted to go. Problem being, she was eight months pregnant. Eight months pregnant. I'm like, no, Christy, there's no way you're going to be coming with me to do this because it may be one of these things again, possession, whatever. I don't know. I don't call it that. just one of these things where we got to help somebody. She goes, honey, I know you were concerned for me, but... The blood of Jesus covers me. I'm not afraid. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. So can I go? I really want to help these people. What can I say to that? Right? That's her faith. I'm not going to squelch her faith. I'm like, far be it from me. Okay, God, I'm trusting you to protect my wife and unborn child. So we drive over. This man that has, you know, that this woman is concerned for, his, his wife, he's a very quiet guy. I mean... He's probably more quiet than the quietest person here in our church. Okay, very quiet, very reserved. I knock on the door. I see his wife. His wife is like scared, like, oh my gosh, like she's seen a ghost or something. It's like, Pastor Young, thanks for coming. Opens the door wider. I see this man. He's sitting on the couch and he's just eating like this. And he goes, again, he's a very quiet guy. He goes, hey, Young, come on in. It was like some kind of like parody of like a used car salesman or something. It's like, come on in. It's like totally different. Come on in. You want something to eat? You want something to drink? Like, I'm okay. Thank you. And I start talking to him. And as we start talking, uh, he just goes into this flood of words. And I was struck by how fast-paced his words. I was struck by how even more than that, his face had changed. Again, he's a very reserved guy, but he's like very expressive and animated. It was almost like, like he's trying to. Like, it was weird. It was crazy. So I sat next to him. I'm talking, hey, how are you feeling? What have you been up to these days? How come you're eating so much? Uh, his wife told me that he had been eating from morning till that, at that point. It was like almost midnight. Just constantly eating. All of a sudden, he, as he's answering my questions, he changes his voice. And now it's a very angry. Before it was like, hey, come on in, friendly, you know, young, you want something? He never does anything like that. He'd be like, hey, uh, what are you doing? All of a sudden, he turns into this angry voice, sorrowful person also. And he starts scolding his wife in a raised voice. Yeah, he's saying all this stuff to his wife. 
Never would say anything like that to her normally. Then he turns to me and he begins listing all the people in his life who had hurt him and made him feel like this pressure. He felt burdened. He felt pressured, like relational pressure to do certain things. And he never had the voice. Again, remember, he's quiet. So he never felt like he had the voice to like push back. So he just kind of like took it all and did whatever people asked him to do. And I think at a certain point, he just broke. He suddenly began talking like a little boy. And not only, he wasn't talking to me anymore. He was talking to like some, somebody in the room, but it was invisible. He goes, I feel so alone. I feel so lonely. So Christy and I, we re- reassure him with the promises of, of God's word. He's not alone. You have friends. You have a wife who loves you. You have Jesus who loves you and died for you. As soon as we mentioned that, he changed again and he starts cussing and he gets like violently angry. So I'm like, okay, Chrissy, can you start reading the Bible? Because remember, how did Jesus fight the devil? How did he resist the devil when he was being tempted? With the word of God. So I'm like, Chrissy, can you start reading the word and just read? It doesn't matter. Just open the Bible wherever you feel the Holy Spirit guiding you. Read that out loud. Read it out loud. So I continue talking with him. Then he starts mocking the words of the Bible. God to love the world. Spewing words. And then he says, I control the demons. And he says out this angry voice, I am legion. He actually said that. At one point, he looked at me. And you'll recall, Chrissy was eight months pregnant. And he threateningly said to me, Young, I'm going to go over to the kitchen right now. I'm going to grab a knife. And I'm going to cut your wife's belly open. And I'm going to grab the baby in there. And I'm going to kill that baby too. I immediately rebuked him with this truth. You have no authority to do that. Because Jesus has all authority. Because in Matthew 28, all authority has been given to Jesus. And that blood of Jesus covers my wife. And it covers my unborn son. So you have no authority to do that. And immediately he goes, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then he turns to like, again, some invisible being in the room. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. At this point, I just let him have his conversation with whomever it was. And I started to think about all the exorcism events in the Bible, trying, just racking my brain and all my previous experiences, praying, reading the Bible, worshiping. Those are the three things. And I started repenting. Lord Jesus, I can't do this by my power. I need you more. I need you. I can't do it. And all of a sudden, as as I started repenting for myself, my own sins, the voices in him started to get scared. Remember, what is a demon's purpose to increase the gap between me and people and God. What was I doing here as I was repenting? I was decreasing the gap. I was coming to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. These are all in in the word of God in James. And so they start getting all scared. So then we all started repenting. There's a room full of, I'd call this brother who was a believer and say, hey, we need your help pray for your brother, and he was like worshiping. Um, I asked him, I asked another female friend of Christie's to help uh, because his wife was like at this point just like, oh my gosh, what is happening to my husband? And thinking I'm never going to get him back. Um, and so she needed some care. So my, you know, my wife and my, uh, her friend were caring for her. The four of us spent all night praying, reading the Bible, worshiping, those three things. When we thought we could do something on our own, it just empowered those voices more, those demons. But the more we repented, the more we depended on Jesus alone, the more those demonic voices feared. Finally, this went on 
into the morning hours, like the, the, the sun is coming up, he finally calmed down enough where he agreed to go to the hospital. After a lot of counseling and prayer and treatment, um, today he's doing well. He even has kids. He's got a happy marriage to the same woman who witnessed all of this. And most importantly, by the power of Jesus, he finally was able to forgive all those people he had listed when he was under that influence. All the people that he felt had hurt him and he had this grudge against, he forgave them. And I believe that's what freed him because by the power of God's grace on his life that he was forgiven, he then forgave others and he was freed. And he no longer was walking backwards into the prison from which Jesus had freed us. He was walking forward into the freedom of his grace. Some of you might be wondering, who were these people? God is my witness. May he strike me down if these people were fictional. These are all real people. So the better question is not who were these people. The better question that you should be asking yourself is, what footholds might I have in my own heart? What cracks in the armor of God have I willingly opened to the attacks of the devil? Whether it be through lust, greed, drunkenness, despair, depression, or lack of forgiveness. Again, make no mistake, Satan and his demons are busy at work. It's a trick of the devil to make you think that he doesn't exist. And this is why God includes stories like Mark 5. So you will know, and not just know, but act. As we move, let me say this, as we prepare our church, Revive Church, prepare to move into our new location, let's not take with us our old frustration. Whatever frustration you have with other people, you might be literally sitting right next to them right now. If you have a grudge or bitterness, don't be fodder for demons. Let it go. You know what it is? That bitterness, that's filth. And you know what demons are? They're flies. Where do flies like to congregate? Around filth. So what you need to do is you need to get rid of that filth. You need to say, God, see if there's any impure way in me and take this away from me and lead me in the way everlasting, right? That's from the Psalms. Clear out the filth. What is that filth? Lack of forgiveness, bitterness, grudges. There is a physical consequence to holding on to that stuff. The demons, the flies will congregate. You might already feel it and you might just be like, oh, I can't be that. It's just bad luck. Mark 5. We're going to pray. I know it's... Uh, what happened here? The last slide. I want you to spend some time praying right now based on this verse. William, could you get that last verse up? Let's read that together. 
So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. That walking backwards into the prison that Jesus freed you from? We don't want to walk backwards. We want to walk forwards, right? Amen? We want to grow. We don't want to die. We want to grow. We want to hold on to that filth of unforgiveness and attract the flies of Satan. We want to get rid of it. (laughs) You know, after I went home from that last incident, you know what I did? I was like, God, if there's anybody that I haven't forgiven, help me to forgive them. I want to forgive. I became a lean, mean, forgiving machine. Because what I saw was just like, I don't want that to happen. I don't want anything near what happened to him to happen to me. So I just went on this like, this forgiving spree. (laughs) All the people that had hurt me, that was a good time to hurt me because I would have forgiven you. Just like that. (laughs) Maybe not now, but back then, yes. I was burning with the Holy Spirit. A lean, mean, forgiving machine. This is what he wants you to do. He wants you to experience because he doesn't want you to walk back into that prison. So let's take some time now. Praise team, come on up. These are Jesus' words of life. As you worship right now, if you feel like someone has something against you, part of your worship is to go and confess to that person and ask for forgiveness. Go humbly, confess your sin and ask for forgiveness. If you want to do that right here, God will bless your faith. I promise you that. If you want to do it at a private time, over the, don't do it over the phone. Do it personally, face to face. Then do it. Don't put it off. Don't be like, oh, that was Sunday. That was a, you know, I was feeling enthusiastic, but eh, maybe not. God's word does not change from today to tomorrow. It's the same, Amen. He's telling you this now. Because as we move into this new location, let's not bring our filth, right? Who wants to bring our filth into the new house? And I'm not talking about the physical house. I'm talking about this new season as revived church. Let's leave all of that. And let's go into what he has promised us, fresh and clean as Christ wants us, growing, not not growing. So let's take some time as the praise team uh, finishes us off here. Would you pray just right now? Would you pray about this right here? What your Lord is saying to you.